Well, I'm thankful for all of you that are here at the hills this weekend watching online as well. And let me just tell you that I have a great privilege this weekend to speak at the uh, Missions Emphasis Sunday at the Bridgeway Church. Uh, Bridgeway was the very first church we planted as a part of our 2020 vision. It's in Flower Mound. They're now over 400 people. They're doing great. They're self-independent. They're self-sustaining. They're supporting missionaries that we also support. uh, And they're wanting to expand their own vision. And they've asked uh, me to share with them this weekend. And that's why on every campus now you're watching me on screen. And uh, it feels so exciting for me to think about going to a church we planted that now has a vision to plant churches. So I feel like I'm going to talk to my children about our future grandchildren. And that's kind of exciting. So I wanted you to know uh, where I am. Now, I need to respond to all the feedback I got last weekend. First, about the video I was in with Jamie. Everybody wanted to know, how did Jamie feel about me basically stealing every scene she was in by my acting presence? Well, she's kind of used to that. But I do want to say again, I am really excited about the women's conference next weekend. I really want to encourage all my sisters at every campus to be a part. I want to encourage all my brothers to make it possible for our sisters to have this time of spiritual refreshing I hope you will sign up this weekend to be a part of the Women's Conference. Now, I really want to talk more about the feedback I got to the teaching on great hope. Because we said there's a lot of pain. That life in Christ, even though there's no condemnation, still means a lot of frustration. Or I said, to paraphrase Elvis, there's a whole lot of aching going on. I heard about a student that applied to a college. And on the application, one of the questions was, list the organizations you were a part of. Well, he was on the high school wrestling team. And so he mentioned that. And then the next blank was, and what position did you hold in that organization? And he wrote, Pinned down, mostly. (laughs) And I think that's how life can make us feel. Life is hard. And Paul says, groaning is a universal experience. Something is wrong, and God is going to make it right. And so even though we have no condemnation status, that doesn't mean no frustration status. We have to learn to groan to the glory of God. And so I heard a lot of incredible stories I almost didn't feel worthy to hear last week of how some of you are groaning to the glory of God. I felt like I was on holy ground every time I read one of your emails or notes. I have permission to share just one from a young mom in our church that uh, wanted to have more children. And experienced three miscarriages in the second trimester. That's her ache. And she wrote, I guess somewhere along the way, began to think that I had to get the heartache to stop before I could have joy. 
I think I'd been closing myself off to some of the joy in my frustration and exhaustion over the sadness. Your sermon was a very important reminder to me that the heartache and the joy can and often do exist simultaneously. Your message confirmed to me that, yes, of course, I am groaning because things are not the way they should be. Babies should not die. It is also a reminder to listen to the Holy Spirit and receive His comfort as He reassures me that one day God will make all of this right. And I love that line. It was a reminder to listen to the Holy Spirit. God's sweet gift to us to prompt us to remember our hope and to ground our groaning in the promise of resurrection. But the Spirit doesn't just speak to us. What we're going to see this weekend is that the Spirit speaks for us to help us pray great prayers. So in Romans 8 now, starting in verse 26, now in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so I heard a story about a dad who took his son downtown to run some errands. They decided to get some lunch, so they found a diner. The father put the boy up on a stool. They ordered sandwiches. And when their food came, the father said, son, let's just say silent prayer. So the father bowed his head and the boy bowed his head. And after a little while, the father raised his head and that boy's head was just bowed. And it stayed bowed and it stayed bowed. For a long time, it stayed bowed. And finally, he raised his head and his father said, son, what were you praying about for so long? And the little boy, in all honesty, said, well, how do I know it was a silent prayer? (laughs) Have you ever gone to your knees and the words were gone? Paul's going to say three things in this short text that's going to encourage our hearts. And here's the first. That you will face a day when you do not know how to pray. And Paul calls this state our weakness. It is a time when our groanings have left us physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted and we're just weak and weakness is not disobedience it's not a sin to be weak it's not disobedience but it is disheartening because we do not know Paul says what we ought to pray for Have you ever been there where you were in a place, in a season of groaning, in a time of spiritual exhaustion, and you didn't even know how to pray? 
Maybe it was for a child in rebellion, and you don't know. Do I pray that God discipline him? Do I pray that he receive even more mercy? Maybe it's for a loved one at the point of death, and you're just worn out from all the care. And what do you pray? That, that your time with them continue, and they linger on, or they go on to be with the Lord, and you don't even know. Or may, maybe you're in a financial bind, and do you ask for a new job and more money that might take you and your family away from your schools and your church that you love? And, and I could go on like this for an hour. Um, I've told you before that my wife and I went through a number of years of infertility treatments, trying to have children. And we reached a point of just emotional and spiritual exhaustion. Where I would, I would start to pray and I would stop and think, I've prayed this prayer. I've prayed this prayer 5,000 times. I don't know how to pray this prayer any differently. My words are gone. And Paul says, you're going to have a day like that. I bet you already have. We're weak. We're weak because we do not know what is ahead of us. Now, if we did, we'd pray differently. If I had known that was coming, I would have prayed this way instead of that way. And not only do we not know what is ahead of us, we don't know what's best for us. Every one of us have prayed prayers we wish we could take back. Because in hindsight, we could realize we weren't asking for what was best. But in that moment, that's all we knew to do. And by the way, it's not a bad thing to feel inadequate. It's not a bad thing to be more dependent on God, to admit you don't know, to admit you're weak. And it's not a bad thing to admit that you don't always know the will of God. Now, that's important for you to understand. Because the last thing you need when you're in a season of groaning over something is the additional burden of, well, if I was really spiritual, I guess I'd know the will of God. And I don't know. No. Paul says he didn't always know the will of God. He said the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So Paul was there too. You see examples of that in the New Testament. Remember in Philippians 1, he's in prison. And he tells the church in Philippi, it'd be sweet if I could go and be with the Lord. But you need me to stay longer to bless you with my preaching. He says, I am torn between the two. He did not know what to pray for. And so don't add to your groaning the burden of not always knowing the will of God. Instead, what you can do is you can rejoice that God can hear the prayer in your heart that isn't even on your lips yet. Because, look again at verse 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. You will face a day when you don't know how to pray, but when we are weak, the Holy Spirit 
will speak. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person who loves you and wants to help. Paul uses an interesting word. The Holy Spirit helps us. And there's only one other time that particular word for help is used in the New Testament. And it's in Luke chapter 10 verse 40. It's that story where Martha's getting everything ready for dinner. And Mary's not around. And she feels overwhelmed. And she says, Lord, will you tell my sister to help me? It's a strong word. that means sometimes you're desperate and you feel inadequate. And you have a burden. And you can't do it by yourself. And Paul says, the Holy Spirit loves you. And so you're in this place of weakness and you're groaning and you you don't even know how to pray about something. And the Holy Spirit wants to help. I just find that incredibly encouraging. In fact, if you go back at Romans 8, almost from the start, he's just been listening the way that the Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit cannot help but help. Verse 2, he helps us by giving us life and setting us free from the law of sin and death. Verse 4, he helps us by leading us toward righteousness. Verse 6, by governing our minds in life and peace. In verse 9, the Holy Spirit helps us by indwelling us, living in us. In verse uh, 13, By putting to death the works of the flesh, the Holy Spirit helps us. Verse 15, he brings about our adoption of sonship. In verse 16, he testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. He helps us to pray, Abba, Father. In verse uh, 23, he assures our redemption of our bodies. His coming is a first fruits of that resurrection promise. I don't understand How people could want to keep the Holy Spirit in a book and say that's all he does is write a book. I don't understand how you could have an active faith if you believe in a passive Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying here is just too marvelous for me to wrap my mind around. He's saying that all of us that are in Christ, we're in the second member of the Godhead have received the third member of the Godhead to help us when we're weak to talk to the first member of the Godhead. seems to me the Godhead is pretty in love with us. And I find that very encouraging. And he does this not to break down God's resistance. He does this because he loves us. And he wants to help. And the Holy Spirit knows how to speak our unspoken requests to God. Because here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is bilingual. He can interpret groaning. In fact, he's fluent in groaning. The best illustration of this I could think of is, have you ever been around a young mom? And she's got a baby about... 12 months, 18 months, learning to talk, and he'll babble. And she knows what he's saying. He wants this. She wants that. They want to go there. How'd you know that? She loves her child so much that she's learned, she's become fluent in his babblings. 
And the Holy Spirit loves you so much, He's fluent in your groaning. And so, the divine one in us helps us pray to the divine one above us. Now, how does he do that? Well, again, I'm stepping into mystery here, but I'm going to give you some of my thoughts. Uh, For some Christians, I believe the Holy Spirit gives them a language or a tongue by which they express their hearts to God. And by that I mean they speak words they don't even understand. Now, some call this a prayer language. Uh, They don't even understand what they're saying. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 14 when he says, those that pray in a tongue, they edify themselves. He says, uh, I do this, and and I can pray it with my mind, but I can pray with my spirit. And, you know, you're more than a brain. Did you know that? You're a lot more than a brain. I didn't know that when I was a young Christian. I thought I was just a brain. And I only love God with my mind. But God's interested in more, and God connects to, and God communes with more than my brain. And, and so Paul says, it's possible to pray in your spirit, and your mind's unfruitful. And, and you're richly edified. Now, that hasn't been my experience, but I, I have known Christians in this church older than me since I came to this church 24 years ago who can pray like this. You say, how come I don't know? Because... It's a very personal time with the God. And they exercise this gift with great humility. I think that's one way the Holy Spirit prays with us and for us. Another way, and this is primarily how I think the Holy Spirit works in my life. I think sometimes Christians, we we just get before the Lord. And we just sit before him in silence because we have an ache on our heart that's so great we can't put it into words. And we just begin to sense the presence of the Spirit. And somehow we know right now communion is taking place between the Father and me. And there have been times, especially uh, with one of our children, where I've been on my knees in the middle of the night. And I just had to say, Lord, I got no more words. I have prayed every prayer I know to pray. And so I'm just going to be in your presence with my ache. Now, how do you explain? But, but somehow the communion of the Holy Spirit begins to minister to that ache. And somehow I know God is understanding my wordless prayer. And the ache begins to lessen as the Holy Spirit speaks for me. And then there's another way that I think the Holy Spirit prays for us. And what I call this, you know, we're weak and we don't know how to pray. I call it the Holy Spirit serving as divine whiteout. And he re-expresses our prayers. In other words... He says to the Father, now, Father, that's what they said, but that's not what they meant. You've all got, uh, if you have a cell phone and you give text, you have a function called autocorrect, you know, where you're typing and you meant to say one thing and it corrects you and puts down what you were trying to say. 
happens like, well, like last week, I get this message from my wife. And all, clearly, it was auto-corrected because she must have meant to say, you're so incredible, and I got, you're such an idiot. And, <laughs> and so that happens. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't make a mistake like that. Because here's the thing. Our prayers are often inconsistent with the will of God. But in our weakness, we don't realize it. Again, Paul is an example. In 2 Corinthians 12, he speaks about having a thorn in his flesh. A lot of uh, debate over what that thorn is. But either way, Paul prayed about the thorn and didn't realize he was praying outside of God's will for that thorn. He said, I begged the Lord three times to take this problem away from me. But he said to me, my grace is enough for you. When you are weak, my power is made perfect in you. So I'm very happy to brag about my weaknesses. And then Christ's power can live in me. Now, I do the same thing. When I have an ache or a groan in my life, just like Paul, I almost always, first thing, ask God to remove the ache. Instead of asking him to redeem the ache. But see, the Holy Spirit knows that deep in my heart, there's a prayer that God's will would be done. And so he prays for me to the Father and said, now, Father, you're hearing what he's saying. But if he saw the bigger picture, this is what he would ask for. And so the Holy Spirit asked for what will most magnify Christ in my life. This is real important. The Holy Spirit is not going to pray the prayer that will tax your life the least. He's going to pray the prayer that will display Christ in your life the most. And that's the prayer. That is deep in my heart. But because I'm weak. I don't always know how to say it. And that's why Martin Luther used to say. It's a good thing we don't always get what we pray for. Because it proves that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, in his book, A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, has his main character in a Soviet labor camp. He's a strong believer, and so one day he's on his knees with his eyes closed and he's praying. And there's a fellow prisoner who sees him, and with contempt, he scoffs and says, Your prayers aren't going to get you out of here any quicker. And Ivan opens his eyes and says, I do not pray to get out. I pray for God's will to be done. And that's how the Holy Spirit prays. He always lines up our prayers with the purposes of God. And so look again, verse 27. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And that's why 
I'm not going to give up on prayer, even when my words give out. Because I know I can trust, I know I can kneel and trust the will of God. I can kneel because I trust God's will. The Holy Spirit's going to pray God's will. God doesn't need me to put it in words before God knows what to do. His purposes for me and for you are not limited by our limited understanding, by our limited vocabulary, by our limited awareness of the big picture. In fact, I don't think God really listens to our words anyway. I think God listens to our hearts. I think if we could hear God speak to the Spirit, He would say, Oh, I hear what they're saying, even though they never said it. You remember when Abraham pleads for Sodom? He finds out the Lord is going to go destroy Sodom for its wickedness, and that's where Lot lives. And so he starts to bargain. Lord, would you save the city if there were 50 righteous people? Well, he knows there's not 50 righteous people. He just wants to get a starting point. How about 40? How about 30? Well, finally, he gets down. Okay, one more time. Would you save the city if there's just 10 righteous people? You know, I couldn't even find 10. But here's the point. God heard Abraham's prayer in the heart. Abraham was praying for Lot. And God saved Lot. And God answered the prayer. Abraham never spoke. Except in his heart. See, we pray to a God that can discern the prayer within the prayer. We pray to a God who can discern what is good even when we can't. And I trust this God. I trust His will. Look at the very next verse. We'll talk about it more next time. But right out of this whole business of we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit does. He's going to line up our heart with the will of God. The very next verse says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Who've been called according to His purpose. I trust this God. I trust His capacity to hear my heart. In fact, I think God hears prayers that we don't even know we're praying. Do you remember when the angel came to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1? Zechariah and Elizabeth were, hadn't prayed for years for kids and never had any. Now he's too old. She's too old. And the angel shows up and says, Zechariah, good news. Elizabeth's going to have a baby. God has heard your prayer. Heard his prayer. Zechariah hadn't prayed that prayer in 20 years. But it was in his heart. And I told you we adopted two precious children. And five years later, totally stunned, God did a miracle and gave us Matthew. You know what I think? I think I had a prayer for Matthew in my heart. It was still there. I hadn't stopped praying it. 
with verbal, audible words. But I think it was there. And I think the Spirit took it to the Father. And the Father said, yes. I believe all things work for good to people who love the Lord. I think some of the greatest prayers you have ever prayed, you will discover in heaven, you never spoke out loud. But they were in your heart because you love the Lord. I'm not always aware of the request, but I'm completely aware that my God knows what's best. So one poet put it this way, I asked for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of others. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. And I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. And I am among all men most richly blessed. We said last time that we were going to have at every campus this weekend a season of of prayer. On every pew there's a broken heart. Every honest, authentic follower of Jesus is fluent in groaning. And so we're going to have a time here in a little bit to just take our aches to the Lord. But I want you to hear something real important. Don't you interpret your groaning as a sign that God is against you. God is for you in the most active sense possible. God in the person of the Holy Spirit is in your heart praying for you. And we'll find later in the chapter, God in the person of Jesus is up in heaven interceding for you. Now just think about this. You got the Holy Spirit in your heart and you got the Son of God in heaven and you know who they're praying for? You. We've got great prayer partners. Because God is for you. And God doesn't reject the prayers of God. And so, don't let the limits of your understanding or your vocabulary or your awareness of the big picture, don't let your limits keep you from a God that loves you without limits. So, just go ahead and bow your head for me right now. Identify your ache. What's the part of your life where you feel like you've grown the most? Just just turn your hands upward and say, Lord, here's my ache. I'm going to put it before you right now. Maybe you've got words right now to pray about that ache, or maybe you don't. That's okay. Just, 
just, just put that ache before the Lord. And let the Holy Spirit talk to God for you. Oh, come, Holy Spirit. Do your work in our hearts. Lighten our burdens. Say what we don't know to say. Because we trust you. And we trust the Father. And we trust in Jesus. And pray in his name. Amen. So would you all stand? If you're one of our elders or ministers or your wives, would you take your places around this auditorium? And we're just going to worship a little bit and just have a season of praying for each other. Bring your ache to one of your shepherds right now, or to one of your ministers. Bring your groan. Maybe, maybe there'll be something to say, or maybe just in silence you'll just hug each other and just let that groan rise to the Father and the power of the Spirit. But right now, we're just going to pray all over this room for one another.